0: All right, special Wednesday episode Thanksgiving week of the Two Ryan Sports Show. Ryan, welcome back. Happy Thanksgiving.
1: Yeah, happy Thanksgiving to you as well. Excited to uh, excited to sit around the table socially distant and eat some mashed potatoes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm a cranberry sauce guy. You a cranberry sauce guy?
1: I'm not. I, I didn't know that about you. We might have to have a discussion off air about that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, but um, yeah, so special Wednesday episode. Uh, Go find us on Spotify. Go find us on Apple Podcasts. Share, rate, subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe again, download, then subscribe again. Um, Quick shout out to one of my friends. Uh, I reached out to her and I was like, hey, can you share, you know, a post of us on Instagram? And sure enough, she did. And she was like, hey, my husband, uh, he's already unsubscribing and subscribing to your guys' podcast. I don't know what that means, but um, I hope it's helping. And I was like, yeah, you guys are a big help, so thank you. (laughs) Um, So let's dive right into it. We're going to do a weekend recap on the front half, then the interview with Dean Blandino, then on the back half, we can preview. But, Ryan, let's start. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Yikes. Yikes.
1: Yeah, yikes is about right. Um, what I thought would be a much better game turned into what Oklahoma can truly be, <laughs> and I think that's the I think that's the moral that we that we take away from this is Oklahoma is, is actually as good as Oklahoma can be. And I know that sounds kind of weird and cliche, but we we talked about them the past couple of weeks and maybe fallen off a little bit, but they played up to their potential and it showed in Bedlam.
0: Yeah, Spencer Rattler. um, Something happened uh, in Norman this past weekend where he was just lighting the Oklahoma State defense on fire. 17 for 24, 301, four touchdowns. That is so efficient. Um, And we know who they play this coming weekend, and we'll talk about that in the weekend preview. But, uh, old buddy, look out because he's in a groove right now.
1: Yeah, well, and, and again, we'll talk about it in the back half of this, but the West Virginia-Oklahoma matchup creates some interesting, uh, interesting dynamics. But, uh, again, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll leave that off the table right now. But uh, Spencer Rattler, to take a page out of one of the uh, former quarterbacks' books, is feeling a little dangerous right now.
0: Yeah, and, um, you know, one game I do want to also touch on that we didn't touch in our last episode, Iowa State, uh, they played um, this past weekend. Man, they look good. Uh, They're sitting at the top of the big 12 Um, things coming down the stretch, but we're also going to talk about them on the back half Uh, moving along. We talked about it and uh, I texted Ryan at the end of the second quarter towards the end. I was like, man, this game's over talking about Ohio state, Indiana. I mean, they were up 35, seven. I mean, did we really think Indiana was going to come back? But uh, they did and Ohio State kind of snuck away. Really, the only reason they won that game is because in the first quarter when Justin Fields was really making the turnovers, two of his three interceptions, they weren't converting that into points, and that was a big problem, as you saw going down the stretch, but, man, Michael Penix played well going in the third fourth quarter. I mean, of course, they were down 35-7, but then they were down 35-28, so they scored 21 and answered. They had a big pass at the beginning of the fourth quarter to get them into position and they – I don't know if they're going to get a like a New Year's Six Bowl, but, man, they're a good team. They're very well coached, and uh, it seems like something to build in Bloomington there.
1: I love it. Uh, the, the one note that I wrote on this game, and, and this is what it literally says on my phone, is Indiana is exciting, but Ohio State was a better football team. <laughs> and, and, and that's what I take away from this game. Indiana – I think to your point about the turnovers early, Justin Fields has been near flawless so far this year. And for them to make him look vulnerable is a big deal because he's a Heisman candidate. Ohio state's a potential playoff team. Other teams are looking at this saying, maybe that's a strategy that we can dial up against fields coming into the latter half of the season, but it makes, it kind of leads you to wonder would this be a different game if Indiana was only down 35, 21, or maybe Ohio state, it doesn't capitalize off or something happens 28, 21. If it's a closer game at halftime, does Indiana come back and win this game in a, in a more deciding fashion. But at the end of the day, the way that it all, the way that it all happened, Ohio state's just a better football team. And I think they proved that holding on against an, an, an extremely exciting Indiana game. And and I don't know if you saw the soundbite after the game, Tom Allen in the locker room. Yeah, I did. Fired up. Let, let me this is I, – I love that man. That, that is a coach that I would want to play for if, if I was even the least bit athletic anymore because for him to be fired up after a game like that, a, a close game, a rivalry game, what, maybe the biggest game in their program's history, for him to be excited that way and, and rally those guys in a locker room, people will respond to that. And you'll see Indiana in the Big Ten race for, for a while to come now, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, so after I texted you about the game uh, being over, two hours later, uh, talking about that pass in the fourth quarter, <laughs> I texted you in all caps, Indiana, oh my goodness. <laughs> what, a, what a huge play. I mean, like that's just the kind of game it was because you didn't expect going into the second half that Indiana was going to legitimately storm back, have a chance to win the game, and it wasn't just like one of those fluke chances to win the game. I'm, I'm telling you if they would have converted those turnovers that Justin Fields had in the first quarter, we might be talking about a different scenario, but Hey, that's how the cookie crumbles. And I, I think, like I said, I think something's building in Bloomington and Tom Allen's probably going to get an extension at the end of the year. We'll see what happens. But sticking with the big 10.
1: Remind me real quick before we move sure. on to the next game, the receiver, uh, Ty Fry for Indiana. Uh, yeah. What a game. Huge game. Don't let it be lost in the fact that they lost that game that Ty Freifogel had an amazing game for the Hoosiers.
0: Yeah, he he played out of bounds on Saturday. And it was also kind of interesting. It was one of those games you find yourself super invested in and not even paying attention to the fake crowd noise because you're just so in the moment. You're like, man, this game is from point A to point Z, just thrilling on all levels. Uh, It really did live up to the hype. Not really in the first half, but, hey, that second half was electric. But sticking with the Big Ten, man, Northwestern, Wisconsin. Northwestern, this was a team two years ago, really by default, you know, no fault of their own, but they were in the Big Ten championship game two years ago against Ohio State. But this is a team that's probably going to make the Big Ten championship game this year. I mean, they played Wisconsin, one seventeen seven. 7 Their next three games, I'm going to read you their schedule. Tell me if you think these are wins or losses. Michigan State. Win. Minnesota. Win. Illinois.
1: We'll see, and we'll see at the Big Ten Championship.
0: Right, exactly. This (laughs) is a team that is so well coached by Pat Fitzgerald. Would you be surprised if they got to Indy and they beat Ohio State? I don't think you would, right?
1: They can play with them. And what they did on Saturday watching that game was they beat Wisconsin at their own game, controlling the line of scrimmage, winning those battles and winning the battle up front. That's how you have to beat a great team like Wisconsin and a big team like Wisconsin. Northwestern did it. And that's, what's going to carry them. Now it'll, it'll be a little bit different of a game when you play Ohio state and there's more explosive athletes and there's more to think about on the edges, but winning that battle in the middle is, is what it takes to win games and clearly they proved that against Wisconsin and, and pretty much neutralized a running game in Graham Mertz that had been pretty well off the first few weeks that they've that they played. Uh, obviously a few games canceled because of COVID, but still a, an offense that has looked good when they've been on the field.
0: And they run the ball so well. And they, they play on play action so fluently. You find yourself thinking, okay, not only can this team run the ball, but like you said, they control the line of scrimmage they play really well in the inside the eight man box. I mean, this team truly has a chance to win in Indy against Ohio State, which is pretty hard to do anyway. But they also have a chance of making the playoff. I mean, absolutely. So well, we'll see. we like
1: we like ridiculous stats on this show. So one that came up at the end of the game, uh, and you might have saw it too, Ryan, was that is Northwestern's first double digit win versus a top ten team since. 1959.
0: Say the year one more time.
1: Uh, That is their first double digit win versus a top 10 team since 1959.
0: Okay I wanted to make sure I heard you correctly because that's crazy.
1: 1959. So I mean we are talking about a whole different world at that point where we're not watching these games on television.
0: Yeah I mean like 1959. I mean that's insane and I do believe Um, real quick before we move on from this game uh, on ESPN on Saturday during this game, they showed Pat Fitzgerald in his linebacker uniform from 95 at least a dozen times. Look, he's a great coach. I'm sure he's a very nice guy. We get the point though. He played linebacker. He was good and he led him to the Rose bowl. I
1: get it. The old nineties jerseys are fantastic. Don't let that be lost. (laughs) No.
0: Then the, uh, the neck pads. Oh man, I'm a big (laughs) neck pad guy. Love them. But So that was our college recap. Let's let's dive right into NFL because oh boy, I am fired up, Ryan, about the NFC East. You thought last week was bad? Wait till I give you my opinion here on this Philadelphia-Cleveland game. Look, before we talk about the game, this is want to talk about crazy stats. Cleveland, their last seven and three start nineteen eighty nine. This is their best ten game start since nineteen ninety four. That is ridiculous. I mean, to not have this good of a start since 1994 and 1989 was the last time you were 7-3. and Look, for all the talk last year where people were picking them to go to the Super Bowl and make the AFC Championship game and yada, yada, yada. Those are the kind of things, just like the Eagles team from a couple years ago, right, when Vince Young said this is the dream team. Those are the kind of things that really take a team out of its chemistry early on but something happened from week two to week three when Cleveland was kind of struggling a little bit. And to tell you the truth, they look a little bit better without Odell. I know that's a little bit of a crazy take considering he's one of the best receivers in the league, but they really do. They run the ball really well with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb on Sunday, he had 20 carries for 114 yards. I mean, this is a very good coach team, but uh, here we go again, Philadelphia. Wins 21 for 35, 235 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. I mean, come on, guys.
1: For those who are, you know, obviously not watching us on video, there were some papers flying there in disgust, And, and rightfully so.
0: I mean, their next two games, Seattle and Green Bay.
1: Yeah, no, no thanks.
0: What's your take on this game?
1: Well, I I want to start with Cleveland because we put out a poll on our social media about, and and I know we'll talk about the other team in this, about what's the bigger surprise? Is it Cleveland at seven and three or the Ravens at six and four? And the majority of people answered Cleveland at seven and three. And, And to your point about what's different about this Cleveland team, they're coached well now. They're coached for their success. They're coached to be a defensive football team control the line of scrimmage, win those battles, run the ball and don't let Baker Mayfield hold on to it too long. Baker Mayfield's a great talent. We saw him at Oklahoma. We know he can make plays and when he needs to make plays, he can. But when you take it out of his hands, put it in the hands of Kareem Hunt, put it in the hands of Nick Chubb, that's going to win you seven out of your 10 games. That's what's going to make you successful. That's what's going to make you second in the, that's crazy, second in the AFC North. That's where Cleveland's at right now where Philadelphia is at right now is a completely different place. I don't know what Carson Wentz sees on a football field. And and, and I'm certainly not an NFL quarterback. I would never claim to be, I'm I'm never going to pretend like I played anywhere other than a small high school. You have to have better awareness than that. The, The one interception that kept getting replayed on Sunday was just, I can't understand how anybody at the professional level would make that you just have to be better. There's no other way to say it. The the Eagles are spiraling and, and we're talking about a game on Thursday night, tomorrow night, that is going to be for the lead in the NFC East with a fourth win.
0: Yeah. I mean, and by the way, we're talking about that pick six that he threw to uh Taki, talkie, right?
1: Yes. Yes. Where he was, um, I believe he was hit. He was kind of trying to spin and, and, felt a little bit of pressure and just kind of punched it up in the air and it just I look like a center fielder making an easy routine fly ball
0: yeah the reason I sigh is I'm just I'm still in the mindset that Wince is the guy okay I'm still in that mindset what I don't understand from watching years one and two Because at first, he has a grace period, right? Because any quarterback, whether it's him, RG3, Carson Palmer, when he came back from knee injury, like those are two people that come to mind, like Vince Young, when he comes back from injury, there's always a grace period fans give after an injury, but it's gone. It's gone, man, because whatever is not working in Philadelphia, something has to change. And maybe Doug Peterson isn't going to do this, but maybe he should just flat out and come out and say, okay, maybe we're going to put Jalen hurts in this type of package and have one sit on the sideline, blah, blah, blah. Like, look what the saints are doing with Taysom Hill. Mm-hmm. Look, I don't know if Taysom Hill is a good quarterback after one game or not, but what I do know is the way that they've used him in the last couple of years, it seems like it prepared him for this past Sunday against Atlanta. So, and look, you mentioned that NFC East game tomorrow why don't we go ahead and talk about the Washington Cincinnati game real quick because Washington's in second place. Okay. And I do feel bad and I'm sure you do as well for Joe Burrow. Um, he seemed, he seems like, you know, the kind of guy who's going to turn things around in Cincinnati, but man, that that's a devastating injury and I don't want to see anyone to go through that, but what's your thoughts on uh, Washington Cincy? I mean, Alex Smith went 17 for 25, 166 yards. Hey, Hey, they're,
1: uh, they're in second place. <laughs> That's tied for second place in a three-way tie at three and seven. That's absurd. But starting with the obvious with Joe Burrow, I- I'm good for him. I loved him at LSU. His-, his swagger, the way he plays the game, is so fun to watch. It's so entertaining. And, and even at the pro level, whenever he's getting hit constantly and he's being chased down and, and forced into these bad throws – Nobody wants to see that. I love watching him, and obviously, as we've alluded to, being a, a avid Steeler fan, watching him in the AFC North, I want to play against him for years to come because he's a fun person to watch, and, and he he's going to end up beating us a few times, and that's fine. But I want him back on the field because that's where he belongs. That's where he's that's where he should be. Uh, so obviously, I know you you and I wish him a, a speedy recovery. But regarding Washington, it, it's odd how this has been for Washington because you look at the paths for the AFC or excuse me, the NFC East teams, they're all a little bit different, right? Nobody is, nobody's really following the same path to be at three, six and one or three and seven. Washington's was we have a guy in Dwayne Haskins, uh, we don't really like him. Kyle Allen, oh, he's hurt. How about Alex Smith? Someone that we didn't even think was going to see the field this year has has brought them back into playoff contention now, albeit in the worst division in football, but I digress. The Giants have been on a little bit better of a streak. Didn't start off well. They lose Saquon. All season's over. Nope, you're still in it. Similar with the Cowboys and losing Dak Prescott. And then the Eagles, everyone just keeps saying, well, they're a disappointment. I, I don't know what to think of this division overall because everybody is is fighting for that mediocrity. And we'll remember this forever because whoever wins this division, I don't even know if you can call it a title.
0: And people give us slack for whatever reason for ripping on the NFC East. Look, it's not just us, it's other people, and the numbers are behind it. It's the first time since the merger in 1970 where we don't have a team at least 500 or above through 10, 11 weeks in the season.
1: Make no mistake. That's
0: historically bad.
1: That none of these teams would be a playoff team in any other division in the league.
0: Wouldn't even sniff the in the hunt graphic.
1: The only reason that these teams are all in the hunt is because they are tied for second place in the worst division where the leader is three, six, and one.
0: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Moving along, you talked about Baltimore a little bit ago. Whew, that was a good game on Sunday, right? Tennessee, Baltimore, Ryan Tannehill, 22 for 31, 259, two touchdowns, one interception, and you have the human wrecking ball. Maybe he's just – a brick house, I don't know, 28 carries, 133 yards, one touchdown for Derrick Henry. And get this, Derrick Henry is 27% against eight-man-in-the-box defenders, and he is the first player in NFL history since 1995 to score at least two overtime touchdowns. I mean, what a game on Sunday.
1: For those that caught the end of the game, uh, you'll remember his touchdown runner. certainly you've seen it on highlights. Uh, we're watching the end of the game and and he kind of hits up through the line. He gets through his guards through the A gap and he starts to kind of bounce it back out and he sees a little bit of a clearing and it's still about 20 yards at that point. First words out of my mouth were he's gone because that's who Derrick Henry is. He doesn't need much room to make it. And I can't imagine coming up from a safety position in the, in the third quarter, the fourth quarter, let alone overtime when you're telling me I have to hit him more than I normally would in a scheduled game. That's the thing about Derrick Henry is somebody like that wears you out. You talk about a running game, wearing people down. I couldn't imagine hitting a, a freight liner in the fourth quarter. It's easy to come out and hit him in the first quarter and make a statement, but he just doesn't get tired. And Ryan Tannehill played fine. Uh, his interception wasn't great. I, w- I was watching when that happened and it wasn't a, a great pass by any stretch, but, you know, again, I alluded to the poll that we did on social media. I'm going to be honest. I think the bigger surprise is the Ravens at six and four. I don't think it's the Browns at seven and three. I think it's the Ravens at six and four. This is a team that last year we're talking about the Super Bowl who who got beat by a good Tennessee team in the playoffs. We know that. I don't understand what's going on. I understand.
0: I'm going 15 and one this year.
1: Yeah. Well, some people had them going 16 and oh, not to mention any names, CC a uh, analyst but anyway what 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 has happened teams have figured out Lamar Jackson they've put the they've put that kind of spy on the run game they know how to stop that and if your receivers can't get separation and Lamar's not able to throw the ball it's it's a completely different game his his passing is still not up to par in the league I understand he had a good year last year some of that's opened up by their great offensive scheme but 2020 is a different year, and, and we'll talk about it in the preview, but uh, thing, things aren't looking brighter for them either.
0: And you talk about Lamar Jackson. Next-gen stats, QBR below 100 the last six games. Uh, that's a league low, and this past Sunday, he was two for seven on attempts of 20 or more yards downfield. That's just simply not good, and I understand he won the MVP, but I'm still in the mindset of one of those people like – I need to see him play a consistent season because when his rookie season, they got to that playoff game and they lost to the chargers on that Sunday wildcard game. Everyone was like, man, Lamar Jackson didn't throw a pass. It's because I don't think he can throw the ball as good as other quarterbacks, obviously. so
1: There's a reason that he was drafted behind other quarterbacks in that draft. There was a reason that he was the 32nd pick in that draft. And and I, I don't know if that's the most glaring thing about him, but whenever I watch him play that's the thing I notice is he's a great runner he's a highlight real type player but his passing is still not up to par and that's what he's going to have to work on
0: yeah and let's talk about some other AFC teams look we didn't talk about it on the weekend preview but man right behind that Tennessee Baltimore game whew, what a game on uh, the 425 slot with Joe and Troy and uh Aaron Rodgers in uh Indianapolis look I I don't I don't know if Indianapolis is going to make the playoffs. I still don't think they will. I think Tennessee will edge them out in that division. But, man, Aaron Rodgers, 115 passer rating, 29 touchdowns on the season, four interceptions. I mean, this guy is so good. And watching that drive in the final minute, you're like, is Indianapolis going to be able to stop him? Because he was just moving down the field with ease that first pass that he threw about 45 yards, whatever it was right in the center of the field, boom, timeout. We're in field goal range. Okay. Like that game was just back and forth and Indianapolis being down 14 to come back Phillip rivers, who <laughs> ironically, you know, no fall of his own, but always seems to find himself down one touchdown or at least hide in the fourth quarter. Look, that was a great game back and forth. And Rodrigo Blankenship, um, you know, who was a pretty clutch kicker in Georgia, got the game-winning field goal in overtime, only, though, because Green Bay fumbled on the third play of the game when they got that in overtime. What's your thoughts on that game?
1: Yeah, well, I, I picked Green Bay in the game, and, and I was just looking at it solely from a quarterback matchup of thinking, well, Aaron Rodgers were out to Phillip Rivers. But Green Bay's defense is, is kind of the partial story here because they struggled they struggled to stop the Colts in the second half. And and that's going to be a problem going into the playoffs because you're going to have to be able to stop teams. And, And in a division, well, not a division, I should say a conference, a conference that's still so wide open is the NFC because I don't think there is a clear favorite every week. We seem to pick a different team that we, that we like and say, well, maybe they're the super, we basically pick who wins that week and say, well, they look like the Super Bowl team. I still don't know who it is because there's questions surrounding all of them. And I'm sure you probably watched it too. And those who did, the Colts did everything to lose it in the last two minutes of the game, five holding penalties on the last drive. Are you serious? This is a, this is the NFL. We, you cannot have that. Chop them, keep your hands inside, use your shoulder pads. Don't just, whatever it takes, stop, stop holding them. You need to put your team in a position to win and not give the ball back to maybe the best quarterback in that situation Hammer Patrick Mahomes, and you're right, he went right down the field on him. I'm surprised they didn't score a touchdown, to be completely honest, but the fumble obviously hurts Green Bay at the end. Look, that's the way NFL overtime set up. It's just the way it works, but that's the way it works sometimes. Sometimes you're going to have those heartbreaking losses, and, and you obviously feel for Valdez Scantlin because nobody, res- nobody deserves death threats over fumbling a football. Come on.
0: Yeah, that's ridiculous, and I mean, that game, though, was, I mean, that game on Sunday, though, in the last two quarters, kind of like the Indiana-Ohio State game, really, like, look, that game was more back and forth the whole game, but for the fact that Indy found themselves down 14 points and Phillip got them back into a position to obviously end up eventually winning the game, those are the kind of things that help you down the stretch shape your team going into the playoffs and try to, to really make that race and try to become a team that's more affordable if you do get into the playoffs. So,
1: Well, and and that's big for the Colts too, because the Titans win and that puts them at seven and three. And then the Colts are sitting at six and three going in to play the Packers. And and you got to imagine that they know this or seeing it or getting that information somehow. So that's, that turns into not, not that it wasn't a big game before, but that turns into an even bigger game where you have to keep pacing your division and, and they beat one of the best teams in the NFC to do it. So the, the NFC South race is as little as we've talked about it over these past couple of weeks is actually going to be an interesting one heading into the stretch.
0: Yeah. I mean, we're talking about playoffs and teams in the AFC. Um, I don't think either of us have a Raiders logo on our screen, um, but <laughs> we do love Vegas Man, that game on Sunday, I mean, it was such a good weekend of football, but Patrick Mahomes, that guy, I mean, that's another quarterback you can't give the ball to with that much time left. Personally, what I thought uh, Vegas was going to do was actually run the clock down and and Mm -hmm. run the ball and just try to get it in field goal range, you know, and there was like a minute left and Patrick Mahomes, just kind of like Aaron Rodgers, moved down the field effortlessly. I mean, he was 34 for 45, 348, two touchdowns. I mean, that's a pretty average day for him, really. But Derek Carr played out of his mind, 275, three touchdowns. They could have won that game. They should have won the game.
1: That would have been big for the playoff picture for a couple reasons, and we alluded to it last week. But if that happens, then the Chiefs and the Raiders are fighting in in a dog fight for the AFC West. And then based on the results of Sunday's games, then that puts the Steelers two games up in the in the in the one seats. So and then that makes it even more important for these other teams to try to catch up and get this by. But who else would you trust more in a, in a two one-minute offense than Patrick Mahomes or, or Aaron Rodgers, as we talked about? I mean, seriously, Patrick Mahomes, it it looks effortless the way he plays the game of football. And I was big on him coming out of Kansas or coming out of Texas Tech into Kansas City. I could have never imagined that the dude would be this good. I mean, he is a, he is a transcendent football player. He's must watch television and he proves it week in and week out. And, and I don't know what it is about the chiefs that brings out the best in Derek Carr, but we're talking about the chiefs winning, but, but the Raiders are, are giving them a fight. And if they see each other in the playoffs, I think you're, I think you're throwing a coin flip. I don't care if it's a, a two and seven matchup or three and six matchup, whatever it would turn out to be. It's a coin flip for who can win that game because we've, we've watched to watched it twice and obviously it's had a different result both times, both great games.
0: Those have been two of the best out of the like five games so far this season. Both of those Raiders-Chiefs game. Sign me up for a third one because, I mean, and I'm sure you saw the final drive. It was so effortless for him, mm-hmm. for that touchdown to Travis Kelsey. And no one was around Travis when he caught that touchdown. And you're like, okay. there. You didn't even feel – like there was a, a climax of excitement because he was just making it look so easy, but wrapping up the weekend preview, LA Rams fifth out of eight games that they've gone on the East coast and man, they got it done against uh, Tampa Bay last night.
1: Yeah. Well, Again, another game that I picked wrong was, was this one. I, I picked Tampa Bay. And, again, I, I'm basing it kind of solely off quarterback play, but Jared Goff played well, and, and that offense looked good. And, and Tom Brady, that, that just doesn't feel like Tom Brady. it's that, a weird thing to say as a guy who's won six Super Bowls and, and had as much success as he had, but that didn't feel like Tom Brady. That last pick in the game on the last drive coming out of it, that ball and I'm watching it and I just feel like it just keeps floating and floating and floating right into the Rams defenders hands. I was like, who made that throw? Because that's not a guy who is maybe the best quarterback of all time. I don't know who that was. That didn't look like Tom Brady, but I, I think that's kind of the, I think that's kind of the thing. As good as he's been, there have been times where he hasn't looked himself and maybe he's still figuring out some of his new weapons, Uh, Obviously it's his first season in Tampa Bay and guys like Antonio Brown have just gotten there. But I think the big takeaway is, is we need to put some respect on LA's name because as, as much as I've, I don't, I don't feel like I've dogged them, but as much as I've kind of put them on the back burner in the West, they're seven and three and in a great position to make the playoffs and a great position to compete in the NFC as a whole.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I'm a Tom Brady guy, but, um, the the pass that he threw to Leonard Fournette or around five minutes up in the fourth quarter and that was Leonard's third drop of the game you could just see that it was irritating him because he comes from a place in New England right where he's been there for 20 years pretty much he's the constant him and Bill right players change Chris Hogan okay you come in you played lacrosse let's make you a, a good slot receiver Julian Edelman Okay, let's have you do a reverse and throw me a touchdown in a divisional playoff game. Like, those are things that were constantly there. But talking about the Eagles, Vince Young, uh, like we did earlier in the show, that's what this feels like right now. It feels like they put all these pieces together, kind of like the Eagles did with Nami Osama, awesome, Vince Young, right? Like, those kind of people back in the day. And it feels like Tampa's like, okay, let's get Gronk. Uh, okay. Uh, Guy over here. Let's let's sign Leonard net on our on our Madden team. Like that's what it feels like, and they're just piecing all these guys together. They didn't, have, they didn't have preseason, right? So look, I don't know how much Tom would have played in preseason anyway. He's forty three years old, but you got to have those rhythms as you develop a team. Especially with I, like, how long is Tom really going to play in Tampa anyway? You know what I mean. It seems like him and Bruce get along, but it seems like the system, whatever Bruce is running, him and Byron left, which doesn't fit for what Tom likes to do with the line of scrimmage. And Antonio Brown, for what it's worth, I mean, he looks okay, I guess, being a year out of football. But you can't put all these guys together one year and be like Super Bowl. Like you can't do that.
1: Well, and and Antonio Brown's only been back for, what is this, his third week now or something along those lines. I'm I'm not exactly sure, but we're talking about a guy, as you mentioned, is out of football for a year. So obviously his timing is going to be off. So as good of a player as he is, those things are going to come in time. I think you'll see Tampa Bay win some more games and kind of convince us again that they'll be the best team in the NFC moving forward at, at points. But I think it just lends to the discussion again that the NFC is wide open. I don't know if there's a team that clearly puts themselves on the top of it because one week we're saying the Seahawks, then we're saying the Packers, the Bucks, the Saints. We've talked about everybody. So this is a this is a an, it, it, never. Wait, I'm going to back up. I'm going to say the Rams. The Rams. They're seven and three too. I don't want to leave them out again. I feel bad because I have for for so many weeks now. Uh, but the Rams too. This is a this is a conference that is wide open usually in a year you can look at a conference and say who the best two or three teams are you have five maybe six teams that could that could eventually reach the Super Bowl in the NFC
0: yeah it was a good weekend of football Uh, the NFC is wide open and look there's some uh, good games that we're going to talk about on the other side of this interview and Ryan why don't you tell uh, everybody who we have
1: yeah, absolutely. This was another great interview. We interviewed Dean Blandino, who is uh, your favorite face to see when reviewing a call on Sundays, um, either him or Mike Pereira. But Dean uh, Dean was gracious enough to sit down with us. He is an analyst for those, uh, former VP of officiating in the NFL. This is a great interview. Uh, and what we take out of this is be nice to officials. So make, make sure you, you ease the load on officials a little bit uh, Come come the holiday spirit time. And now our interview with Dean Blandino. All right. We now welcome on the former VP of officiating in the NFL, the former head of officiating in the XFL, and currently now working for Fox Sports as a rules analyst for the NFL and NCAA, Mr. Dean Blandino. Dean, thank you for coming on the Two Ryan Sports Show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. All right. So, um, I just want to jump into a couple topics here, um, mostly regarding officiating, because I think we need to. I think we need to clear the air for officials in the officiating realm, because I'm, I'm guilty of it, but I'm one of the people that's the most hard on officials on Sundays, uh, from my couch and, and my cor- um, so in my court, on chair quarterback. So in your opinion, w- when talking about referees and being on the field, college, NFL, whatever it is, what's the toughest call to make and why?
2: Yeah, well, the two, the two toughest are probably offensive holding and, and pass interference. Offensive holding, just because there's so much opportunity for it in, in you know close line play, offensive and defensive lines. And you know they, everybody oh, you could call holding on any play. Well, well, that's not true 100%, but there is there is a lot of opportunity and it is very subjective. I think pass interference is probably the toughest because and I think we saw that last year with you know it being reviewable and how that didn't even work out well you've got a lot of times it's receiver and, and a defensive player running full speed, the officials running. Um, the contact is, it happens so quickly. The ball gets there. Is it enough to, to restrict the receiver's ability to make a play on the ball? It's such a tough call and it happens in real time. So I, I would definitely say pass interference. And, and if you look at the numbers, offensive pass interference has actually been probably over the last five years, it's probably been the most missed call um, in the NFL.
0: Yeah, I'm glad uh, you brought up holding because um, there's been 266 calls on offensive holding uh, this year. Now, obviously, we didn't have a preseason due to everything going on with COVID related. But I mean, we're week 10, so we can't really chalk that up to, you know, rust anymore. You know what I mean? What seems to be the issue where there's 266 calls on offensive holding and 264 on false starts? I mean, they seem like they're just calling that every single, you know, other play this year.
2: Yeah, well, actually the holding numbers are down compared to last year, and they're actually calling less holds this year. Holding typically, you'll see on average about three holding penalties a game, Um, and this year it's closer to two, but across the board penalties are down. You mentioned no preseason. That's a big deal because not just for players and coaches, but for officials as well because that's when you want your officials to go out and you tell them, okay, if you're not sure, throw the flag, and then we can evaluate that. Because the games don't count and, and, and it's a great opportunity to kind of set the bar. This year we didn't have any of that. So it's like week one, we're going, it all counts. And I think the officiating department really made it an emphasis to, to not call as many fouls, keep it clear and obvious. so the game you know tends to flow better that way. Um, false starts is you're, you know those are fouls that you have to call when, when, it, when they happen, you know, for receiver flinches or the left guard moves you can't really ignore that. So that, that's kind of, it, it is what it is, whatever, whatever fouls are there, you got to call. But um, I think the, the numbers are actually down this year and that's, um, I think that's better for the flow of the game. I'm not sure if it's better overall for the, just the fairness of the game though.
1: No. Well, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because I think with the preseason, obviously that gives everybody the opportunity to be in sync and, and I'm sure it's tough for officials with COVID regulations and, and everything in, in that scenario this year too. Um, but again, as I mentioned, uh, fans are tough on referees, especially on social media. Everyone's a, everyone's a keyboard warrior. What, what's the review process for officials like? Because everybody, everybody kind of jumps in and says, oh, they need to fire this person. They need to fire that back judge but I'm sure that's not the case. So what's that kind of look like on a behind the scenes perspective?
2: Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand is how much scrutiny the officials are under, not just right. You talk about fans and social media and coaches and players, the stuff we see on, on game day, it's, it's the internal evaluation that they go through. It's, it's, I don't know if there's another profession, I'm sure maybe, you know, like airline pilots and things like that, that where you're talking about life and death, but I don't think there's another profession that has the type of evaluation that officials go through. They get evaluated on every call of every game. Every play is looked at. They get a graded report by crew each week. Those grades accumulate. And, and then at the end of the year, the, the officials that grade out the highest get postseason games. The officials that grade out the lowest don't get postseason games. And, and if they're, you know, if they're in that lower tier for multiple seasons, they get let go. So uh, again imagine just working you know whatever whatever you do for a profession you have instant replay immediately you make a decision and it gets reviewed immediately you get people yelling at you and then at the end of the day you get a report here's everything you did right and here's everything you did wrong I mean that's what officials whether it's NFL college other sports that's what they're going through so so there's
1: definitely accountability well and I we see the memes of like Belichick yelling at the official in, in this past week, and I mean it, it's funny but that is another person that's being yelled at doing their job on a football field, or you know, regardless of where they're at. And
2: that's the biggest thing. And we always talk about, um, and even with our with our announcers at Fox Sports, is just being aware of the language you use because you hear you hear Troy Aikman or Joe Buck or, or anyone else, Chris Collinsworth, badmouth the officials in kind of a disrespectful way that trickles down and we have so many young officials that are working, you know, Pop Warner, you know, little league baseball or, or peewee football. And you get fans, you know, parents, coaches that feel like it's okay just to, to really, you know be abusive verbally to these. And it's, it's like, and a lot of times these are like 15, 16 year old kids. And they say, I'm not going back. Why, why am I going to go back and officiate when I'm getting yelled at by adults? And there's a real problem at the lower levels of
1: just getting people that want to get into officiating. I umpired monitor or little league games here in West Virginia for a yeah. while. And I mean, sometimes you question if it's worth $20 a game yeah, when, exactly. when the, when the cops are called, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not in this anymore. No, and I agree. It's crazy.
0: Uh, one thing I want to uh, touch on though, because, you know, officials do handle so much scrutiny every single week, you know, whether it's making the right call or the wrong call. Last year, it was such a train wreck and a travesty, whatever you want to call it, the fact that you could review past interferences and throw challenge flags. Do you think going forward that there will be something like that implemented, whether maybe it's not a challenge from a coach, but maybe it's a booth review? Because we're approaching that phase, I think, as we want to evolve the game where we need to take steps. But last year, it just didn't work for whatever reason.
2: Yeah, I think no question that something like that is coming and i think it is more of a like a booth official type deal and and when we when we brought back instant replay in the nfl in 1999 right the technology was much different right you didn't have the 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 high definition all all the super slow-mo everything that we see today so you could really stick to the obvious mistake well now What wasn't so obvious in 1999 is obvious because the technology has gotten so much better. And I think we are gonna see some version of a a booth official, sky judge, whatever you wanna call it, that in real time can help the officials. They have wireless communication now, the officials can all communicate with each other, the replay official can communicate to the referee. So I think we are gonna see that because the technology continues to improve, the stakes continue to get higher and uh, and you know and the officials are still right. They're still human beings. Like they're not they're not evolving at the same speed that the te- that the technology is. And I think that's part of the challenge.
1: Yeah. Some some people call for everything to be reviewed, and, and I don't know if that's the answer. But I, I I certainly can see why that with the stakes being higher, you, you want it to be as precise as possible.
2: Yeah, no question. And I think everything, and, and sometimes we have to take a step back and say, do we really want everything to be reviewed, right? Do we really want after every call to be waiting to get some word from upstairs? And then the game, I mean, we've all sat there and watched the game when the review feels like it takes forever. We don't want to add more delays to the game. So if they can do it seamlessly and and make sure we get the big plays right, I think I think the technology is there, and I think they can they can figure that out in the next you know in the near term.
0: And it seemed like what it became almost last year was not so much the call being overturned, but what's the judgment? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What who's making the call? Like because the ref throws the flag, the coach throws the challenge flag, and it just there it was so much judgment, and you know it was so hard to get overturned.
2: Yeah. I mean, that was the, that was the problem. And we had talked about it when I was at the NFL with the competition committee and they were always hesitant to open up those really subjective calls like pass interference to replay because replay, when you think about it, it was meant to deal with objective things. The ball hit the ground, the foot stepped on the sideline, the knee touched the ground, whereas pass interference. It's not, it's subjective. Like there may be contact, but is there enough contact to to throw a flag? And I think that's what we saw with with it being reviewable. And and to your point, the standard seemed to like move from week to week. It was real high. You know, there were calls that you thought, oh, man, this has to be pass interference. And And they didn't make it a foul. And then it kind of moved later in the season and the bar got lowered and they never could find a consistent, you know, standard. And I think that was one of the big issues with it.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to know that there there may be something in the future, but obviously we, we rely on humans and human error is a real thing. So uh, one, one other question for you from, from my side here, Um, obviously you're with the XFL. I'm interested to know if you think any of those rule differences will ever make their way to the NFL, because people liked the, people loved the kickoff rule. Uh, I think some folks were in favor of the 1.2.3 point conversions um, but but with the differences, did you see any of those coming to the NFL anytime soon?
2: Yeah, you know, I don't know. And, and that was such a great experience for me. And all you know, the, the rules innovations were really great for the XFL and the kickoff. I think the kickoff probably has the best chance because there's a lot of people around the NFL that that want the kickoff to stay in the game. But understand that that it does have a higher rate of injury, especially head and neck injuries that returns do. So if you do get a spike in concussions, head, neck injuries on kick returns, the NFL is gonna to have to continue to look at ways of making that, that play, you know, safer. And the, and the XFL kickoff proved that. It was a small sample size, right? Only five weeks, but 90, over 90% of the kicks were returned compared to less than 40% in the NFL. And, uh, and we didn't have any major injuries, which was, which was great. So I think the kickoff absolutely has, you know, will be a part of the discussion going forward. I think the one, two and the three point conversion, um, I don't know. I mean, that that's good when you start a league and you want to generate interest in scoring. I think the NFL obviously being more established, um, college football being more established. They like the, you know, the one point and then the two point try. Uh, But I definitely think the kickoff has has a chance at some point.
1: We're we're certainly not looking to bring back the scrum from 2001 XFL. That definitely not.
0: (laughs) Uh, So, Dean, You also do college games, uh, you know, Fox, Fox Sports 1 on Saturdays. Um, I love watching college football. I love, you know, when you give your opinion on the calls, you know, during games. The targeting rule, Um, it it feels just kind of like the pass interference from last year where, you know, you can challenge uh, in the NFL. But the targeting rule seems to be almost a point where now when they go to the booth and review it, uh, the kids automatically ejected from the game. And I feel like that's been the case uh, all season long. And I feel like there hasn't really been any lead way in changing that rule where, you know, maybe let's not eject them for the whole game. Maybe let's only do it for a quarter or a half because, and sometimes they get suspended next game. Do so you see that rule changing anytime soon?
2: Um, Yeah, there's definitely been discussions and I know coaches, the coaches are in favor of a lesser foul, you know, kind of like, you take the, you know, basketball flagrant one and flagrant two, right? So, so they're in favor of a concept like that, where the really egregious one is, is a disqualification. The one that maybe isn't that egregious would be, uh, you know, just a 15 yard penalty. Um, The the issue with that though, is sometimes if you, if you add another layer for the on-field official, you can create, you know, less consistency and, and and you're always just human nature. You're always going to default to the lesser of the two. So we probably, probably would have, you know, very few disqualifications when, when really some should be there. I think the targeting rule, it's not perfect, but I think it works. You know, you're seeing players adjust. You're seeing, you know, especially the defensive backs, the safeties where maybe 10 years ago, they would have gone to the head, neck area. Um, they're, they're lowering their target. Um, anytime you talk about disqualifying players, it's a big, big penalty. Um, but you know, I think, I think we've made some strides with targeting and like I said, it's not perfect, but I think they're going to continue to talk, talk about it.
0: And uh, very last thing on my end, this isn't really uh, um, so much as a question. Maybe it's more of opinion. Um, I feel like you're uh, doing the better dressing on Saturdays and Sundays uh, uh, over Mike.
2: I can't, I wish I could take credit for that. That's just our wardrobe people. They, they, I show up and it's there and I just, wear it so I I honestly I wish I could take credit for that he's more he's more of like he does the three-piece look and and that's I don't know that's not my thing so uh, but I appreciate that I'll make sure to tell him when I see him
1: (laughs) yeah for sure well Dean we really appreciate you coming on and and if I've taken anything away from this I'm going to be nicer to officials now (laughs) whether I'm at a game or on social media even in a short conversation I'm definitely going to be nicer and encourage others to be too but Again, we really appreciate your time. Uh, I hope that you, all of your loved ones, everyone around, just stay safe during this pandemic. Uh, but again, thank you for coming on, and we appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, guys. And uh, yeah, same to you, to your families. And uh, I'd love to come back
2: when uh, when when it's possible.
0: Ryan, that was a good interview.
1: I love Dean. I I do think, and we mentioned it at the top of it, he has convinced me to be nice to officials. As much grief as we give them, they they are humans, so. Be nice to officials.
0: Yeah, and, man, all of our interviews have been good anyway, but I feel like that one was, like, pretty insightful into, like, obviously, you know, the XFL point, you know, where you ask him if any rules could translate. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, another good one. But let's get into the weekend preview. Man, and I always love Thanksgiving football weekend. You got some Thanksgiving leftovers. You watch it on Black Friday. You got Saturday. You got Sunday. You got Monday Night Football Man, but let's get into college first before we get to the NFL. There's a real couple good ones on Friday, starting at the noon on ABC, Iowa State versus Texas. This is a big one for the Big 12 race.
1: Yeah, this is is crucial because looking, and we'll look at the other uh, Big 12 game coming in here next, but talking about this game, I think you could call this one a coin flip. Ohio State has looked good this year, and, and Texas has had some of their up and downs. But really, this is a coin flip. This is going to be a great game to watch. Um, I, I'm not even really sure to identify what point is going to be the standout in this. I, I really think this is going to be a good game on both sides. It's two very evenly matched teams. Uh, one that you're going to be want to, one that you are going to be in front of the TV for. I promise you that. Because I think these two teams, again, evenly matched, I, I think you're in, in for a good weekend of football starting off with that on, on your first one.
0: You know, sticking with the Big 12, why don't we just, uh, Ryan, I'll toss it to you for this one, WVU-Oklahoma.
1: Yeah, well, and, and certainly as, as I mentioned, the, the other game has big, uh, big, big 12 implications when it comes to those two teams. But this matters a lot for Oklahoma looking at the West Virginia game. West Virginia fans. Now, I, I think most people know that we're two West Virginia graduates, WVU grads. So we, we never were in school to watch WVU beat Oklahoma. I think if it's going to happen though, I think this is a year that I would pinpoint. This is a, this is a year that West Virginia can do it. Um, the only thing that that stands in their way though is the team, again, that they've not been able to get over, but a team that is getting hot at the right time. We talked about it in the first half of this show. Spencer Rattler and Oklahoma look good. And Lincoln Riley's not going to let this team fail. He knows what it takes to make this offense run. And Spencer Rattler's getting into his own. But this is a matchup of the two best defenses in the Big 12. Usually two words that are not synonymous with each other is Big 12 and defense. But West Virginia and Oklahoma are the best two defenses. So I think you're going to see a little bit lower scoring of a game. Um I think it's going to be Spencer Rattler coming out. And I think if you're talking a true gunslinger mentality, he can outdo Jared Deggie. But I think if West Virginia can do what they did against TCU a couple of weeks ago, come out, control the clock, establish their running game, works in play action, get Deggie some, some receivers in space and you got to catch balls. That's, that's number two. In that. I think West Virginia has a chance. I think Oklahoma is the, is the better of the two teams coming into this matchup, just on paper. I think West Virginia gives them a game, though. Morgantown, there's something special about Morgantown at night. So um, I'm looking forward to this one. I think this one is, is going to be uh, potentially surprising.
0: Will they be doing the 25% capacity again?
1: Uh, I think they've lowered it. So I think it's 15 now, maybe. Not a not 100% sure, but but it is it is still around that. So it's not the traditional crazy Morgantown that you would see at 7.30 during a night game. Typically, everybody's used to noon games, but this this will still be a little bit different of an environment. Uh, this isn't one of those games that we talk about that weather's going to affect. I don't think Oklahoma will worry about that too much. Uh, we watched the game a couple years ago where it was basically a snowstorm and Oklahoma walked all over WVU. So that doesn't matter to them. This one is, is more evenly matched though. This isn't the same Oklahoma team that we've seen in years past. It's certainly a good Oklahoma team and one that is continually getting better, but the same could be said for West Virginia. They are continually getting better. And if, if they can control the clock, I would potentially pick this as an upset for West Virginia. And, and some of that's, there, there's a little bit of bias showing in that, um, but, but I think, I think it's going to be a fun game to watch too. I think the Big 12 has the slate on, on Saturday or Friday and Saturday, I should say.
0: Their last two games there are tough. Uh, if they want to have, like, a nice little finish, they play Oklahoma this weekend. They play Iowa State. Those are the two best teams in the Big 12. <laughs> so if they want to have, like, a nice finish, they need to win one of these games. And really what it would do is would spoil one of the other teams' seasons of having, a you know, a New Year's Six Bowl. But, you know, it's always fun to play that role.
1: Well, and to get West Virginia, if, if they do win one of these games – uh, let's just say they go one and one in these next two games that put them at six and four. So an improvement over last year, uh, I think that's kind of what they're playing for now because West Virginia is out of the, out of the big 12 contention in a, in a big picture, right? So it, it is to play spoiler and West Virginia is one of those middle teams in this conference right now that can play spoiler and, and can win one of these two games. Yeah. It's
0: fun playing spoiler. It's not fun when it happens to you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> West Virginia fans. Cover your ears for that one. We, we yeah. know all too well about that one.
0: But the other two big games of the weekend in college, we have Notre Dame, number two ranked Notre Dame, versus top 25 in North Carolina. This is a big game, simply put, because it really shapes the ACC playoff picture because Notre Dame's probably going to play Clemson in the ACC championship game that's most certainly going to be a playoff eliminator. However, however, only if Notre Dame loses this game. Because if, let's say, Notre Dame wins this, and then they play Clemson, and they lose that game, and Clemson's you know still has that one loss on the record, we're probably looking at Clemson and Notre Dame in the playoffs come January. So, Sam Howell, though, 2,631 passing yards. I mean, their last game, they won 59-53 against Wake Forest. Look, I'm not an Ian Book guy. I, I think he'll be like a fourth or fifth round pick in the NFL draft this coming spring. But what's your thoughts on this game? Huge game right after the Iowa State-Texas game. Don't turn your channel on ABC. Leave it there.
1: Yeah, you're going to have a lot of good football to watch on Friday. Well, and, and what I was going to mention was actually Sam Howe for North Carolina. So I, I kind of equate this one similarly to the Oklahoma-West Virginia game. Notre Dame's the better team. Don't rule out North Carolina, though, because if you remember that game where they played Wake Forest a couple weeks ago and, and folks that may not, go back and look at the stats. Sam Howell threw for, I believe it was over 550 yards, five or six touchdowns. He was slinging the ball when Wake Forest in that game. Could it happen again? I think Notre Dame's defense is better, obviously, but it's hard to ignore what he's done those last couple of weeks and, and what he did in that game specifically. Don't rule out North Carolina. If you don't think that Mac Brown, a, a legendary coach at the college realm, is not going to have his guys fired up to play the number two team in the nation now, you're crazy. This is, this is a team that is in the playoffs and, and they want to play that role of spoiler. Mac Brown knows what that's like. And he's going to have his guys ready to play. I, I'm i interested in this one solely for that fact that North Carolina has what it takes to beat Notre Dame in a, in a crucial game for the Irish.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's not just that, but North Carolina losing to Florida State, they have a chance, right, of playing upset alert because typically this is the week where, you know, all the rivalry games are played and there's still like a couple of them this weekend, but everything's shifted around. Like Michigan, Ohio State, is a staple every single year at noon. No matter what you're doing, you want to watch that game. It's always on Saturday. It's always on Thanksgiving week. But everything's a little different. So, for me, this is probably the biggest game of the weekend for the college slate anyway. But while we're on the subject of rivalries, let's just talk about our last game. Auburn-Bama, Iron Bowl. I hope one day I get to go to this game because it is – a two fan bases to have a 30 for 30 documentary like they did a couple years ago like way back to talk about the hatred that they have for each other it's like that's real like they legitimately do not like each other i feel like some people in that state probably wait all single year just for the one day where they you know are playing Bama or they're playing auburn to get the victory and look, it's at the, its normal 330 slot on CBS on Saturday. It typically every year is. The only year it was never on CBS for rivalry Week was actually the year Ole Miss and Mississippi State were both ranked in the top 15, and Mississippi State was won that year with Dak Prescott. I mean, I can't wait.
1: Yeah, this is, this is, a, this is a fun one. So a quick story, you're talking about the rivalry itself couple of years ago sitting in Milan Pushkar Stadium and it was the year I believe it was 2013 or 2014 that Chris Davis took the took the kick uh the missed field goal kick back 109 yards and won the game I was sitting there watching it on my phone because that was it was clearly a big a big game and I'm actually watching the, the game cast of it so not even the full game this is before you know you really and in Milan Pushkar Stadium I don't know how many of our listeners have been in there but you don't get good reception so I'm watching the game cast I'm like, Oh, he missed it. Oh, he took it 109 yards. That's crazy. That's crazy. as an understatement because I didn't realize I'd be seeing that clip every single weekend of college football from then until now. And certainly every time these teams play each other, because that's how big of a game this is for both of them. If, if, if you can understand the magnitude of that rivalry, that play is incredible. And look, Auburn has their noted struggles this year. Obviously, they're five and two. They're, they're not the same Auburn team of some of those years past, but anything can happen in a rivalry game. I think Alabama wins this one, and I, I think they win it probably by about 14, 17, 21 points, somewhere in that realm. I think they'll end up pulling away from them. But you don't rule out a rivalry team in, in a week like this, and certainly in a season that's crazy like this. I, I think Alabama is still the best team. They're, they're number one in the playoff ranking, as, as many of you have seen from last night. So I think they'll pull away, but rivalry games are crazy. And, and certainly you don't rule out Auburn, even on a, on, on a missed 59-yard field goal that goes 109 the other way.
0: Yeah, Auburn is going to win the football game. It's uh, always going to be with me uh, because <laughs> – when he took the kick back, it's like, did that just happen? And you're like, Oh, there's no penalties. Oh my gosh. That just happened. Um,
1: Little did we four, know we witnessed an all time moment of college football and, and I watched it on GameCast in and Pushkar stadium. What, what am I, what am I doing? Go, go home and <laughs> you watch know, he went TV. four and
0: eight that year, you know, so. <laughs> but, Even better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Before we wrap up college uh, slate for the weekend, man, tough for Wisconsin. Uh, News just came in about 25 minutes ago that their third game is going to be canceled. uh, Third game this season due to COVID. Look, it's no fault of their own. This is the type of season that, you know, we're going to be in. But, man, it sucks.
1: It's tough for Wisconsin coming off a game like Northwestern where they could potentially right the ship against a team like Minnesota who is not quite up to that standard. So I think this hurts Wisconsin more than anybody because Wisconsin's looking at this as a chance to right the wrongs, figure it out, get back on track, and you're hit on Tuesday with we're not playing.
0: Yeah, and um, very last thing, wrapping up college, playoff rankings here are the top ten. The U, back in the top ten. Georgia, number nine. Northwestern, eight. Cincy Bearcats, number seven. Florida number six, Texas A&M five. A little strange. Uh, Ohio State number four, Clemson three, Notre Dame two. Number one, Bama. Do you put sock into the first week of playoff rankings?
1: Not, not really. the The first weekend is is always crazy because at at this point you're talking about something that could change drastically. As we alluded to just a couple minutes ago, I mean, how is this going to look different if if North Carolina beats Notre Dame? Notre Dame's not going to be in the top four anymore. It shuffles around. Then, of course, if Clemson beats them, they fall completely out of it in the AFC championship. And you don't even remember that Notre Dame was really ranked. You remember who goes to the playoffs those years. So there's a lot of shuffling that could still be done. Um, My biggest takeaway from this is actually the two first teams out in Texas A&M and Florida, because Texas A&M obviously is the team who beat Florida. I would watch that game again because I think Florida would beat them again in a head-to-head matchup. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out coming down the stretch where one of these teams could be in there by virtue of beating Alabama potentially down the line. But again, as, as I alluded to, there's clearly a lot of shuffling that will go on. There's, there's no real certainty of it, but a lot to be had. But I think it's, it's – I, I suppose it's right for the first, for the first week.
0: And Notre Dame being two, Clemson three, we talked about it. Look, Notre Dame's never had to play a conference championship game. Uh, If they get to the point, which, you know, 99% they most likely will in the ACC championship game, um, that's a playoff quarterfinal essentially. But, man, Thanksgiving football, NFL, two things that go together even when we're in a pandemic, okay? But let's start with our Thanksgiving Day slate. Um. I guess this could be your, uh, your nap time game. Houston, Detroit, uh, <laughs> you have Deshaun Watson, 2, 2,883 yards. Zach Cunningham for uh, Houston, 101 tackles on the season. That is third in the NFL. Thoughts on this game?
1: If you watch this game, watch it solely for Deshaun Watson because he is exciting no matter what. And and obviously his weapon and DeAndre Hopkins was taken away and and that could alter the season in different, you know, different ways. But watch the game, if nothing else, for Deshaun Watson, because he is exciting to watch. Some of the plays that he made against New England this past weekend are exciting and he is an exciting player to watch. Now, I understand this game really doesn't mean much in, in any picture whatsoever. It's one of those formalities has to be played. We get it. If you're going to watch it, just pay attention to number four in the dark blue and red because that guy is an electric player. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I probably won't be watching hardcore on this game, but it's it's there. <laughs> that's,
0: a, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, it is there. It's the CBS Nance uh, Romo game. Uh, yeah, it, it, it could be the uh, Thanksgiving nap game before you you know, eat your Thanksgiving dinner or after, you know, you eat your Thanksgiving dinner, whatever it may be. um, It's a classic Thanksgiving nap uh, game. But this one could be (laughs) in Washington and Dallas. I mean, we got two Thanksgiving nap games, uh, Washington, Dallas. Terry McLaurin, though, look, He's actually a pretty good wide receiver. And if it wasn't for him being in Washington, I feel like more people would pay attention to him, but he has 871 yards receiving on the season. That's really good. And look, one of my friends, I talked about it uh, a couple episodes ago is a Dallas fan. (sighs) Look, nice win against Minnesota for what it's worth. Um, But I I can't believe that we're sitting at a spot where two, three and seven teams Buck and Aikman calling this game on Thursday the winner will be in first place. It's that simple and like my friend who is the Dallas fan, I feel like Dallas has been at the bottom of the barrel all year anyway just the way things are going. I mean Zeke had his first game over 100 yards and if no one saw it go go put it on um, YouTube Instagram, whatever. Stephen A Smith ran about Dallas fans the other day, all time, all time rant. Look, I'm not like a big first take take guy either, but it was a great rant. And then you had that weird skip Bayless video. I don't know if you saw that, but like him dancing to everybody dance now and he's in a Zeke Elliott Jersey that he threw in the trash. It's like, we got these two guys on opposite sides of the spectrum. Right. And like one's tearing down Dallas and the other's like really piping them up. I I feel like that's Dallas fans in a nutshell. What's your thoughts on a possible Thanksgiving nap game?
1: Well, I think you gave every reason for it not to be a nap game is the fact that it's for first place in a division. Now, I'll be at the worst division in football, but this game actually does matter. Now, that's where it gets tricky is, is because you try to convince people that this game matters and it's hard to see. It's, it's weird that we're in the year 2020 and we are talking about Alex Smith as a Redskin and Andy Dalton as a cowboy fighting for supremacy in the worst division in football. That is, that is a weird statement to make, but there's, there's a lot to examine in this game though. And that's that you watched the game last week um, with, with Cincinnati and Washington and and look, the football team has had their noted struggles. We're, we're not going to shy away from that. But they looked a lot better defensively against the Bengals. And again, the Bengals aren't a, a showtime offense. It's not the Chiefs, certainly. But the, the, the football team's defense looks a lot better. And if Alex Smith can continue to be what he's been in the past, which is a game manager, he can get the ball to receivers when it matters. They, okay. If they can effectively run the ball, you're talking about a first-place football team. I think Washington has what it takes. They've really they've really worked it worked it back into contention, and it's it's odd that it's Alex Smith that's doing it. Certainly not a knock on Alex Smith, but I don't think in the year twenty twenty we would ever have considered that this man who almost lost his leg would be the quarterback who is leading a team to what could be a first place a first place standing at the end of Thanksgiving night.
0: Yeah, uh, it's crazy that we're at this position. You know, we both understand that, like, to be in a historic, historic bad division. But it is what it is. Wrapping up uh, the Thanksgiving slate, as of right now of this recording, Baltimore and Pittsburgh are still going to play, but we don't know what's going to happen with that because more players and staff tested positive for COVID today in the facility. And things look a little iffy on the game right now, but if it goes through Man, that's a fantastic game on the uh, NBC 820 game.
1: Yeah, well, in, in a game that is, is the meaning of the word desperation for Baltimore at, at this point. And, and things are completely working against them. We alluded to it at the top of the show. But this is a Baltimore team now that since the Pittsburgh game has not looked the same. They have not been the same Baltimore team of past. They just lost to the Titans, takes the wind out of their sails. We caught it a potential playoff elimination game. And this matters even more now because you're looking at the Ravens now in third place in the AFC North playing a game on a shortened week with potential COVID implications that will keep players such as J.K. Dobbins, Mark Ingram, Pranel McPhee, and starting nose tackle Brandon Williams out of this game. This we've said must win before this, this is must win. This is must win in all caps for Baltimore. They have everything working against them in this game. And that's why I'm going to take Pittsburgh to win this game. If, if it is played in fact, regardless of when it is, but Baltimore has to come out and and show something because if they don't show anything in this game, they would fall to six and five. And then I think that effectively ends their chance at the playoffs If they lose to Pittsburgh again and and fall back out of that, I I think you're talking about a Ravens team that that misses the playoffs.
0: Well, right now they're on the uh, outside looking in in general. So, I mean, they're four games back behind Pittsburgh. It is a must win. It is. But sticking with football, moving on to Sunday. Man, best game of the one o'clock slate. I don't know how this wasn't flexed to at least 425 or at least, at, you know, even the NBC game. Tennessee and in Indy, seven and three teams. It's basically the game for the AFC South title this week, um, you know, when it comes down to it. And, I mean, that game is going to be massive. Derrick. And we, we've talked about him, the human wrecking ball. What's your thoughts on this game? Probably going to be the best, you know, game on 1 o'clock.
1: Yeah, well, and, and this is – this is one of the two games I pinpoint as the games of the week and elevated by the fact of what happened the past weekend, too. Right. And, and another thing that we alluded to at the top of the show, Tennessee beats the Ravens and a crucial game for both teams. Indy, in, in my opinion, air quotes, upsets the Packers. And, and, and you set the stage now for a very big matchup. But this game matters in the sense that, again, they're both seven and three. But think about it in that the Colts beat the Titans the first time they played a couple weeks back now. So we're talking about the Titans need this game because if they don't win this game, then they have the then they lose the tiebreaker against the Colts. The Colts have the game up. This is going to be a fun one to watch, because when, when you talk about Derrick Henry and the human wrecking ball, that's that's a problem every single week for every team that plays him. But this is also odd that we're talking about a Colts offense that is starting to find a little bit of a groove right now. But I think, I think the Titans are going to take this one. I I think the Titans have, have a little bit of a role going right now. Ryan Tannehill has been playing well and his receivers have been playing well too. I don't know how much of the game, especially AJ Brown. I don't know how much of the game you caught on Sunday, but AJ Brown was phenomenal and and he is a talented receiver in this league here to stay. I, I think it's going to be an interesting game. I think it'll be one that you definitely watch and tune into. Like you said, the potential game of the week, back and forth game, but I'm, I'm going to take Tennessee in this one, but it'll be a very close and highly contested game.
0: I feel like we need to uh, get uh, a trademark on the nickname for Derrick Henry, human wrecking ball. Uh, <laughs> but sticking with more NFL action, Arizona, New England, that's actually an important game, believe it or not. Because essentially what it does, if New England loses, they're, they're done. They, they are done, and it will be the first time since Matt Castle that they have not made the playoffs. And look, they almost made it to the playoffs with that Matt castle season. If it wasn't for Miami, because Miami went 11 and five and had the tiebreaker over them that season. But Matt castle who had never played a snap, right. Starting since USC that season took them to 11 and five. And they were just barely on the outside looking in. That's where we're sitting. And if they lose to Arizona, not only are they going to be out of the playoffs, you know, 90%, but their next two games after Arizona chargers in LA, travel back to boston go back to la to play the rams and cam look he has not had a good year i don't know what happened from the 2015 season mvp of cam newton that we had to where he's only thrown 1900 yards this uh year four touchdowns seven picks one bright spot for new england though i do want to point out jc jackson six interceptions on the season that's one of the best in the league what's your thoughts on this game
1: well, I, I look at it, you obviously alluded to the fact of, of New England needs this, so they're practically done, and, and that's true. This game is important for Arizona, too, because now with the Rams beating the Bucs, this puts them at third place in the West. I think the West will have three playoff teams regardless, but looking, looking ahead a week, we're talking about, so let's say the Cardinals beat the Patriots they're going to be seven and four going into a matchup with the Rams, depending on how, you know, that, that all works out for the Rams on on Sunday, whenever they're um, playing San Francisco, which I I think they'll win that game. But so let's say we have an eight and three, Los Angeles team and a seven and four Arizona team that needs to be the case because Arizona can't, can't stand to fall behind any more than they already are because that division is tight. That's three very good teams that are playing in that division And and when you're talking about a game that matters, I think it matters more for Arizona because they're clearly in the playoff picture. The AFC is, is tough to work your way in. And I think if new England was going to separate themselves in that playoff picture and continue to be in it, it would be against a team like Houston. They didn't do that. Houston, a, a, a team that's had a, frankly, an abysmal season beat them. This game is, is Arizona's to lose. They, they have to win this game. I understand that it's in New England and, and that, you know, again, we talk about weather and that could potentially affect games and such, but Arizona needs this game because looking ahead the next week, they have to, they have to be in contention whenever they go up against the Rams again, if they want to keep pace.
0: Yeah. I mean, and we've talked about it, you know, a couple of times, we think all three teams, Arizona, L.A. and Seattle are going to make the playoffs. And, you know, that win last week Seattle had against Arizona on Thursday night was huge for them in building confidence and really kind of taking control of that division. But we'll see what happens uh, going down uh, the next couple weeks. Look, I don't know who uh, makes schedules at NFL, but someone dropped the ball on this one, Ryan. Kansas City, Tampa Bay is the 425 game. It's not a Monday nighter. It's not a Thursday nighter. It's not even the 8.30, you know, flexed in game. We're sitting at 4.25. Look, I'm happy that, you know, Nance and Remember are going to be doing the game. But uh, what's your thoughts on this game? Because, I mean, look, the Tennessee Indy game could be the best game, not just one o'clock, but the best game of the day. But then we have this Kansas City, Tampa Bay game, where when you think about it, that's the reason Tom Brady did not win another Super Bowl in New England, right? We have this guy, Patrick Mahomes, AKA, you know, possibly the next great quarterback of all time. Look, you know, we're way ahead into the future, but that's where things look right now. And Patrick, he's having a good season. He's probably going to win the MVP again if he keeps this pace. 3,035 yards, 27 touchdowns, two picks. What's your thoughts about going into this game, four o'clock on Sunday?
1: So this this is the toughest game that the Buccaneers have left to play. The Buccaneers, so looking at their schedule ahead after the Chiefs, and I know we're kind of getting our set of ahead of ourselves here. But we don't want to be fortune tellers and such, but the Buccaneers, after they play the Chiefs, uh, they do have a week 13 bye, so they'll, they'll be off after that week. Then their last four are against the Vikings, the Falcons, the Lions, and the Falcons. That sounds like a 4 0 record to me. So I I think this is and I hate to say that a game doesn't matter because certainly, you know, one of those teams can come in and and play them tough. But this game matters a lot for Tampa Bay because they have such an easy schedule down the stretch. But Kansas City also is going to have to keep pace in the AFC, too, because Pittsburgh's schedule now Pittsburgh still has to play uh, both Buffalo and Indianapolis left but Kansas city has to keep pace in that because they're still sitting at one loss to the Raiders. It's possible that Kansas city may not lose another game again this season. Uh, and and certainly this is their toughest test left too. Uh, they, they also have the dolphins. Uh, the saints will certainly be a tough test too, uh, the Broncos, the Falcons and chargers. And that's, that's a little out of order. So I apologize, but, they have to be able to keep pace. And and I think as it matters in the AFC, looking at the playoff picture, that buy is going to be more crucial than ever in 2020, because you're only talking about one team getting it. So the, the saint or not the saints, excuse me, the chiefs can't afford to lose potentially two games to the Buccaneers and the saints. So that this, this is a, this is a big game on both fronts looking at looking ahead in the schedules.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself, but wrapping up the weekend preview, Seattle, Uh oh, in Philadelphia, Monday night football.
1: I mean, I'm, I'm so sorry that it's that it's a, a, a sigh every week leading into the to the Eagles talk. Yeah, I mean,
0: it, you know, it is what it is. Um, I mean, here's I, I might as well read off Philly's schedule. Okay, Seattle, that's Monday. Green Bay, probably a loss, I guess. New Orleans, toss up, I guess. Arizona. Probably going to lose that game. Dallas, eh, would you be surprised if they lost to Dallas? I wouldn't. Uh, Washington, they lost at the beginning of the season to Washington when Dwayne Askins was still the quarterback. So uh, probably going to lose that game. <laughs> and wins quarterback rating on the season, 44.5. Oh, man. Yikes. Uh, what's your thoughts on this? I mean, Russ Wilson, 2986 passing yards on the season, 30 touchdowns, 10 picks. DK Metcalf, that's a human cheetah right there. Uh, 862 receiving yards. Uh, I mean, what's your thoughts?
1: Well, I I know you talked about this name earlier at the top of the show, so uh, I'm sure you've seen the meme, but there's the meme floating around there that uh, talking about Rodrigo Blankenship and DK Metcalf. And it says the NFL is a great sport because both of these humans play it professionally. And and certainly kickers don't have the same body type usually, but that's a very funny picture if you've not seen it. But looking at the schedule here, Philly has, Philly has a, a, I don't even know if it's a tough schedule, but everything's tough in the, in the NFC East this year. We're talking about a game tomorrow night on Thanksgiving that is, or tomorrow afternoon, I should say, that is going to, put a team in first place that wins one game that we're not going to do a full in-depth analysis of but consider in this scenario the New York football Giants play the Joe burrow list Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday I'm not going to guarantee a win on that game because anything can happen certainly in this division but you're talking about a team that should have a pretty easy time winning a game Philadelphia is looking at themselves on the top of the division right now. And they could find themselves clearly out of this picture here in potentially two weeks because playing Seattle is doing them no favors. Because as we talked about it just a couple minutes ago with the NFC West, that's a dogfight to keep pace in that conference. And every team has to continue to win games because the minute you lose a game, you're losing seeding in the playoffs and, and you're farther and farther away from those top seeds. And again, it doesn't matter as much in a year where there's only one bye, but these teams are all still viable for this buy, and, and that's why you have to keep winning. I hate to tell you, Philly is not going to get the bye. If they make the playoffs, they, they will not be in contention for the bye. So I, I actually don't think this one will be particularly close, unfortunately. Uh, look, I think you're going to be talking about a third place Philly team after after this weekend a team that drops from from first with the tiebreaker with the tie being the tiebreaker and and they're going to move all the way down to third because i and and this is again looking ahead at predictions but i think that the washington football team will win i think the giants will win and i think the philly's going to fall back
0: yeah Uh, i mean i don't even know what to say anymore about philly and the fc east that we haven't already said but all right, another episode in the books. But Ryan, before we go, why don't you tell everyone where they can uh, find us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, find us number one on social media, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, so, we've been using TikTok a little bit more the last couple of weeks uh, to do some breaking news and just some quick analysis that we may not be able to get to on the podcast. So, definitely check us out on social media like, follow, uh, retweet us, share everything under the sun. But to listen to the show every day, you guys found us now, follow us on Apple, subscribe, subscribe on Spotify, that's where the main show is going to be located. So find us there, subscribe, and and most importantly, leave a rating. If you're enjoying the show, leave a rating. Yes. That means a lot to us to see. Uh, as of recording right now, I think we have 10 ratings on right. on Apple at least. So for those that have done that, we really appreciate that. Um, I... I don't necessarily just sit around and count those, but I do check them occasionally. So that's that's very encouraging. I'm, I'm glad that people are enjoying it. So to all the loyal listeners, all the people that have reached out, we appreciate you guys and, and we're going to continue to keep going. But find us on social media, find us on Apple and Spotify and let's keep the Two Ryan Sports Show climbing that mountain.
0: Yeah, keep climbing the mountain. And uh, next week uh, we have uh, some mountain interviews. Um, <laughs> people are going to love the interviews that we have coming in our uh, normal schedule next week Tuesday and Friday episodes uh, can't wait to share those with the people but I don't want to do it just yet but uh, th- it'll be awesome
1: absolutely no disrespect to our first guests, but two incredible interviews next week two people that, that I've said to you off offline and, and we'll say it on the show now I would talk to them every single week those were two great conversations um, and and I think that the fans are going to enjoy them too
0: Yep, absolutely. And uh, guys, we'll see you next week for our, our regular uh, regular uh, episodes, Tuesdays and Fridays. See you guys.
1: See you guys.